This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome back to another episode of Shrink Chicks. We are so glad you're here. We wanted to first provide you a content warning for today's episode as we discuss sexual trauma and abuse, which we know can be a very heavy topic. Please feel free to skip this one if the subject matter feels triggering in any way. Thank you so much for listening as always, and here's the episode. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. We are so thrilled today to welcome our guest, Dr. Holly Richman. Holly is a licensed marriage and family therapist, somatic psychotherapist, certified sex therapist, and author of the book, Reclaiming Pleasure, a sex-positive guide for moving past sexual trauma and living a passionate life. Holly, we are so thrilled to have you on Shrink Chicks. Thank you for joining us. I am so happy to be here and following your work and just a, a huge, huge fan. So thank oh you my for gosh. what you do. Wait, what do you get when you get three marriage and family therapists in one Zoom room? I think a lot of fun. I'm not sure. We're going to find <laughs> out though. I was like, I'm ready for this riddle. <laughs> yes. Let's do it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about reclaiming pleasure. People talk about all the time. I mean, it's one of the amazing things is people are so much open about experiencing sexual trauma, right? And what we know is a ton of people have experienced sexual trauma. And what we don't talk enough about, though, is having really great sex and pleasure after that. So tell us a little bit about reclaiming pleasure. Tell us about how you got here. And I'd love to hear more about your work. 
Yes, absolutely. You just, you said it, you hit the nail on the head. So I was a journalist for 15 years. And then in my late thirties, decided to go back and get my master's in clinical psychology and did almost all of my 3000 hours at a rape crisis center. And I learned quickly, like I was taught very well how to treat trauma, but there was literally a moment sitting in a therapy room where I was like, oh shit, what comes next? Like no, you know, as great as my supervisors were, and again, the trauma training was fantastic, but I knew my clients needed to have solid relationships and great sex lives. And we just weren't talking about that. So that's what led me to the PhD and somatic psychology and the sex therapy certification, just to put all of those things together. I wrote my dissertation on the recovery of sexual health after sexual assault Grounded theory figured out the three parameters that we need. The main one, pleasure, reclaiming pleasure. The book was born 10 years after that. And here we are. So wow. so what was that like? I, I We have a good amount of clinicians that listen to this show as well, right? So I think what yeah. you're speaking to a lot of people relate to, which is that I was taught so well about the healing. But what about all the after parts? And I, it sounds like there was a stuckness you felt in that. They're like, there's got to be more. And I'm going to have to figure this out. Right, right. And as sex positive as I thought I was and comfortable with it, I really talking about sex, especially clinically, when we haven't really been shown how to do that or been learned to be comfortable talking about it, that took some training, that took some practice. Um, So I really feel like my dissertation was like the first treading into that of like, how do I have this? But for me, like I, I want to be overprepared. So, you know, I was like, well, I might as well do a sex therapy certification because what else do I have going on? <laughs> I'm just having a baby and doing other shit, but I'm just going to do this too. Yeah. You don't sound busy at all. That sounds like <laughs> oh, easy. So tell us a little bit about how sexual trauma might trickle into relationships and kind of overcoming it and starting to reclaim. Tell us a little bit about that for our listeners. Yeah. So I really look at four parameters when I sit down with a survivor of sexual trauma, and that's the emotional effects, the physical effects, the relational effects, and the sexual effects. So again, we're really looking at all of those parameters. And a lot of times survivors have highly sensitive nervous systems. So you're going to hear about the physical effects because they're usually going to walk in the office and say something is wrong. I have chronic migraines. I have IBS. I have this unexplained thing that no doctor can tell me what it is. I think I'm just crazy and broken. So that's the first thing. And then relationally, they'll say, I am so insecure. I have insane jealousy or I cannot tolerate being in a relationship. Every relationship I have ends in less than a year because I just I just can't do it. It feels too unsafe or there's anger issues or there's vulnerability issues. Um, And then on the sexuality piece, there's dyspernia, vaginismus. So those are all kind of pain during sex issues, vulvodynia, an aversion to sex or hypersexuality, all of these things can show up. So we're sitting with those two. And then of course, anxiety, depression, more of those in the emotional quadrant. Well, it's interesting because all of those things, you'll have someone come in with those symptoms and often you don't find out for sessions and sessions later that there was some type of sexual trauma, right? Mm -hmm. This thing, and I think part of this is that one, we have a really great listener um, question about this, but so many of us have been taught to just shove this down. You survived it, you got through it. It's over now. Just keep going on. And so I think that their body even does this thing where it's like it, it shelves it. 
So then I go into therapy and I'm like, here's all the other current stuff that's happening and we're not going to make this connection. Right. And I think, I mean, there's so many funny memes about it, but it's like, can the body stop keeping the score? Right. Like that's, I think (laughs) there's like, and because this feeling of like, oh my gosh, but why this thing that I thought was over this thing, I didn't want to matter. This thing I didn't want to stick with me is just not going away. Right. Right. People don't believe me when I say on average, and this is just my, the kind of clinical experience. In my experience, it takes a survivor 10 years to walk in our door, 10 years, because they've been trying to make it not matter and work around it and shelve it for 10 years because in their head, they're like, well, it just wasn't that bad. I didn't have a cut. I didn't have a bruise. There was no screaming. There was no running away. So mm-hmm. I don't think that was trauma. And I'm just, I'm just a mess. So I'm going to just keep putting this off until I absolutely have to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's one of the things that people say the most, which is like, well, I had a bad sexual experience, but does that make it trauma? If it felt traumatic, it was traumatic. Mm-hmm. I think people get so stuck in that, right? That like, I have the power to determine that this was traumatic, especially if a court of law or a judicial system said it wasn't. And we have so many people of those, right? Like so many folks, right? That it's like, oh, well, I went to the police and they basically were like, well, you didn't do any of these things, right? Or I told my friends and they were like, oh, something like that happened to me too. And we start using as opposed to me, myself can identify this. Right. Right. And again, I know we're sick of the body keeping the score, but there's going to be something else. There's going to be a sexual side effect, a relational side effect, a physical side effect that's saying, I'm sorry, you can't ignore this anymore. You're going to have to to go and talk about this and call it what it was. Um, And yes, the judicial system, uh, it's just not a relevant marker for the suffering that survivors of sexual trauma go, go through. I have the client right now who did all the things and, and they're just, uh, the system was like, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't bad enough. Yeah. So let's say I'm, I'm thinking about the listeners who might be hearing this and saying, okay, I have been trying to put this on the shelf. I'm recognizing that I, you know, I'm experiencing all these different symptoms. What would you say the next step is for them in order to start acknowledging it and start working through it? Mm-hmm. So the continuum that I like to work with there is awareness, understanding, behavior change. So Jennifer, what you just said is I'm in the awareness. I think this meant something. So then it would usually be working with a therapist, ideally talking with friends, finding a support group, reading a book, taking an online course to understand it. And part of the understanding is calling it what it is, right? So was this sexual abuse? Was it sexual assault? Was it rape? Was it sexual harassment? That's really important to me because I don't feel like we can fully understand it unless we really know what happened to us. And from there, from that understanding, then the behavior change, but the needle moving from understanding to behavior change, that's different for everyone. And it takes as long as it's going to take. So be kind to yourself. I I think that that's that piece is so important to the being kind to yourself, being patient with yourself through this. You know, we hear all the time, as Emily said earlier, with clients who we've been working with for years and, you know, they will come out with sexual trauma, talking about sexual trauma after a few years. And it takes so much time and there's so much 
we see so much shame around it of, I, you know, I, I didn't bring this up. I didn't talk about this. Uh, but I think being patient and compassionate with yourself through that process is mm-hmm. so important to, to be able to get to this point as you're in this awareness stage and really understanding it. Right. thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on their accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I have felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is, of course, the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty-free and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I use this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post-construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that Pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks. So we had a ton of listener questions too that I think would be really, really important to jump into and might take us, you know, in different directions. So the first question we got was how to get out of your head and feel safe. Mm. Hmm. That's that's a big question. Um, should we talk about that relationally and sexually, or do you think we should go right for the sexual part? 
Oh, I want to hear about relationally and sexually okay. because we don't have you for that long and I'm using you for all your work, all Holly. Great. <laughs> Great. How do I get out of my head and feel safe? So relationally, you're looking at the evidence of the relationship. When you are in relationship, especially new, you're, it's all data collection, right? And the word I love at the beginning is reciprocity. So am I being more vulnerable than my partner is? Are they being more vulnerable than I am? Are they respecting my boundaries? Are they caring about creating time for me? Are they caring about the things I care about? So really collecting this data, checking those stories in your head of this isn't going to work out. I'm not worth it. So this person's just not going to show up. Really looking for those points of reciprocity and someone prioritizing you to help you feel safe. This idea that uh, codependency is a bad thing, I don't agree with that. Every healthy relationship has to have a healthy degree of codependency or it's not a relationship. I, I know a lot of you are listening right now, but if you're watching by any chance, I've got two hands up and in a lot of relationships, they go side by side. So each partner is autonomous in their own lane. The codependent, my hands are together and we're moving through the world completely enmeshed. What we want to do is go out, have our autonomy come back in, these little touch points to help us feel safe. So even when we're not touching, we still know we're okay. And then we can come back and get all that support we need. Mm. Oh, that was such a, that was a really good visualization for it too. Okay. <laughs> it was really good because I also like, I love what you're talking about of like normalizing the touch points and normalizing the ins and the outs. I think that's really hard sometimes to have. So many folks have that really dichotomous thinking it has to be one way or another. And that was such a beautiful depiction. So now everyone has to go. Now stop listening to this episode. <laughs> go to YouTube and open it up and you're going to watch the episode there. <laughs> that's perfect. That's what we're doing. Yes. And most survivors are this. Most survivors mm. want to be completely autonomous because it is way too dangerous to trust someone. Yeah. Okay. Sexually, how do we get out of our head and feel safe? Um, I'm just going to go for it. So create a self-pleasure protocol. And I'm calling it self-pleasure and not masturbation because, and I'm fine with masturbation, call it whatever you want to. But usually masturbation is a means to an end. It means we're going towards an orgasm. It's a little bit more goal-oriented. Whereas self-pleasure protocol, I just want you to be in bed with yourself, in the bath with yourself, in the shower with yourself, anywhere that's private, and spend some time touching your body, getting to know it again. And if you have an orgasm, great. And if you don't, that's fine too. Just finding some comfort with your body, even looking in the mirror naked. I can't tell you how many survivors are like, oh no, there's there's no looking in the mirror naked for me. That's just, I can't, I can't even look at my body, let alone touch it. So again, that self-pleasure protocol is going to be what I'll kind of the middle stages that I'll go for. Can you speak Ooh. a little bit to, I know you you touched on it, the difference between kind of that goal-oriented and the pleasure-focused uh, model? Yeah. So the goal-oriented is going to be what we see usually in porn or in rom-coms. It's everybody's getting to an orgasm or everyone's getting to penis and vagina. And we know that sex is comprehensive of everything we want to do. So a lot of sex therapists aren't even using the word foreplay anymore because that connotes that it comes before the main event. The main event might be making out. The main event might be fingering, hand job, the main event might be oral. Everybody gets to decide what this is for them. And for survivors, if their sexual trauma included 
oral. Oral might not ever be on the table for them again, and that is okay. Each survivor gets to decide, hey, do I want to learn to reintegrate this into my sex life or is this off the table? Mm. I love that. Okay, ready for your next question. <laughs> yes. How to go about sharing your past in a new relationship? This is a big thing, right? The fear of divulging and sort of coming out um, with being a survivor and how that's going to affect things. Yeah, this is such a big question. I usually get, when do I do this? And I feel like people are asking me, is it three weeks and two days? Is it, you know, 24 hours? And I can't give you an answer like this until you feel that vulnerability from the person that you're sharing it with, that you feel like they are in a receptive, open place that they're not going to push you beyond what you're comfortable sharing. Listeners, hopefully you know this by now that you don't ever have to share details of your sexual trauma, not even with your therapist. A therapist does not need to know the details of what happened to you Mm -hmm. to effectively treat your trauma. Um, So when you are sharing, hopefully your partner will stay out of the narrative of why didn't you tell me? Why is it taking you so long? But wait, weren't you in a relationship with that person for one year? Why did you stay? Why didn't you say no? Like, these are the questions you 100% don't want to hear. So you just want to say, I experienced sexual trauma as a child, and now my triggers are this. I just need you to understand this, this, and this. Or if you feel like you want your partner to know the details, of course, you can share the details as well, but you don't have to. Mm. I love that you also are talking about it in terms of like, you get to choose how this is done. I think people think it has to be this really emotional, vulnerable thing. And like what you were sort of saying is like, actually, you don't have to do any of that. It can be information, Mm -hmm. right? Like, here's what happened. Here's the, or not even here's what happened. This is the experience. Here's the outcome of it. Here's what works for me now. Boom. Done. Right. You don't owe any other information. You don't owe any other. I think that there's a part that we feel like we have to, especially for women, right? Over talk. Yeah. And give more information and and defend why this is. Mm -hmm. And what a blessing to say to people, you actually don't have to do that. And then you get control of this process. You get to make these decisions for yourself. And I think that that's so incredible, you know, for to, to really hear that for people to be able to hear, like, I get to make this decision. There's no one way to do it in order for me to reach this place of working through it and through to get to the place of healing in it. So I think that that's so incredible for our listeners to be able to hear. Can you touch on the shame piece when moving past trauma? Yeah, this is really the biggest piece clinically working with survivors. And my language for it is helping them let themselves off the hook. Mm. So that is that is shame. So the hook is shame. The hook is blame. The hook is why didn't I? I should have. It wasn't that bad. Shame is putting the blame on ourselves instead of the perpetrator. You know, one of my favorite sayings is, If you were standing on a street corner naked, most people would have brought you a coat. The only reason why you were raped is because a rapist walked by. The only reason you were sexually abused is because there was a perpetrator in your house. So much of what we sit with in in this system of protecting perpetrators the survivors internalize that blame for my for themselves. Why didn't I? That is the hook. When we can finally release the hook, we release shame. The blame, the shame just belongs with the perpetrator. That's a really powerful analogy. Mm-hmm. 
for a lot of people and the blessing of off the hook. Yeah. Yeah. But you can almost picture it. Yeah. Yeah. Emily, if you walked outside and someone was sitting on your street corner naked, would you rape them? (laughs) No, but I, (laughs) no, but what I would fucking do, right, is get them every service, give them probably anything that I was wearing that I could take off to give them, right? Here's all the things I would do if you see someone in that vulnerable state. And most people would have the same answer. Right. Right. But somehow it becomes, but I was wearing a short skirt. I was totally drunk. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Seriously? No, 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 no. The only reason why you experience sexual trauma is because there was a perpetrator mm. present. Mm. Can you speak to why, you know, why it is that we go to that place of shame or blame when we are in that space? Can you speak to that a little bit? I feel like I have two words are puritanical culture and patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) That's all you need to say. Yeah. Um, The system, the system is effed. The system is a mess. The system protects perpetrators. And by the way, I just need to give the statistics because it's one of my favorite, especially since 2017, the Me Too movement, our elections two years ago, I feel like we're perpetuating this narrative that survivors frequently false report, right? That that women mostly blame men when it wasn't their fault. So they false report sexual abuse, rape, any kind of sexual trauma is false reported at exactly the same rate as any other felony, which is two to 8% which means it's almost never false reported. I know you two know this. Reporting is such a huge process. It is such a lengthy process. It is such a painful process. It very rarely goes well for a survivor. No one is going to be like, yes, I want to do that. I talk often about in the show, I've talked before that I'm a sexual trauma survivor and I have said so much and have done tremendous amount of work in my own therapy that the reporting process was just as much, if not more traumatizing for me because of because of how the system works to make you question yourself every part of the way, Mm -hmm. every part of the way, especially as a young child. And this is at a time right now. I think that there is a little bit more openness about it. This was 20 years ago for me. But this feeling of like you are actually the criminal, like you walk in this room and you're like, wait, what the fuck am I doing here? Am I in trouble now? And I can't tell you how many people say the same thing. So we have people that go through sexual trauma and then we have people that have the reporting that did the right thing. And even if the person was prosecuted and found guilty and it worked out and I, you can't, if you're not watching this, you're seeing me putting quotations mark working out. It's a vague idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh man, Emily, I'm, I'm sorry. Wow. It is, but it's a powerful thing to sit and talk about that, like, even if you, you know, write like the quotation, the quotation, quotation, it's this is a setup for failure in some ways. Our system is a setup for failure to help survivors. It is. I mean, I've, I've had survivors go to the police with pictures of bruises or in person with pictures of bruises, and it still doesn't work out. And again, a bruise is not a marker of sexual trauma. It can be, but it most of the yeah. time it's not, especially when yeah. childhood sexual abuse, you know, mm-hmm. over 85% of that, the time that's someone known to the child. Um, and it's going to be framed as extra care, extra attention, extra nurturing. It's not going to be framed as violence. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I don't want my past to affect my present. Someone's saying tips on how to do that. I don't want to blame my partner for things that they didn't do. Mm, That's such a good one. And so much of the work of trauma therapy is relegating the trauma to its rightful place, which is almost always in the past, right? Mm. It's then. One of my favorite mantras, which I was taught, that was then, this is now. That was then, this is now. I have my clients write it on post-it notes and stick it wherever they can stick it. Again, that awareness of actually what the symptoms are in the present moment and making the connections between those symptoms and your trauma is such a huge piece of the healing. Because again, we're mostly going to sit in, why am I doing this? Why is this happening to me? Why can't I do what everyone else does? Why am I so broken? And I can't figure this out. Mm. But when we make that thread to, okay, I'm understanding my symptoms. And from there, it's really creating boundaries for yourself. Are you still in chronic fawn response? Are you still in chronic freeze response? For some survivors, not many, but they'll be in a constant fight response. So that's what's showing up in the relationships. You've really got to see what the symptoms are, make sense of them, put the trauma where it belongs in the past, Probably like the logistics of being in the present moment, starting a mindfulness practice. And I don't care if it's two or three minutes a day, just taking time, focusing on your breath. Maybe there's a movement practice there. If you're beyond that, then start your self-pleasure protocol. Even if you have a partner, even if you're having sex every day, I would still love for people to have their own self-pleasure protocol. Mm. And you had mentioned earlier, you know, that there is going to be certain sexual acts for certain survivors that maybe are off the table for them. And so I'm wondering, like, if you're a survivor of sexual trauma, how can they communicate that to their partner in their relationship where their boundaries are sexually? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. I mean, I don't know really any other way around it than using your voice which is incredibly important because again, most sexual trauma, we go into freeze or we go into fawns and we don't have our voice. We don't have our no. So here's where you have your yes. Yes, this is what happened to me and I am not comfortable with oral sex. Or it could be a word. Please don't call me baby. Please don't call me honey pie. Please don't touch my lower back. There's no way I'm having sex in a car. Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever your thing is, know that. And I just, I know it's easier said than done, but just saying this is my boundary and I'm not mm-hmm. crossing it. Because I think, I think that's mm-hmm. so important and such a huge distinction, especially in this question of, you know, I don't want my past to affect my present. However, your boundaries and your voice is really important when you're in a sexual relationship. So I love that just being able to use your voice and set boundaries around what feels good for you, what feels pleasurable for you and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And and Jennifer, I loved like the second piece of that question. So knowing where your no's are, but also knowing where your yeses are. So the first parameter that I discovered in my dissertation was control. So survivors need to feel obviously like they have control of the situation, who they're with. That makes sense. But the second thing I figured out just under control, there's maintaining and relinquishing. So the Mm -hmm. relinquishing of control is equally important to people stepping away from surviving and into thriving. So yes, you're going to know what's a no for you, but it's also important to know what your yeses are. So I don't like oral sex, but I love making out or I love penetrative sex or I love dry humping. I love whatever the thing is. Know what your yeses are. 
Ugh. Uh, I often feel that there's not enough dry humping in this world. Yeah, I I, I think we need to bring dry I, humping back. We talk back. about this. <laughs> I've, I've been having a lot of conversations around dry humping lately, actually. The reason it went out was because the goal-oriented yes, model, right? For yeah. the reason for so many people, it's like, oh, this is legitimate. But like dry humping dry is humping awesome if that feels right for you. Okay, really important question. How do I trust men again? I haven't cared to date for a long time. Mm. Who are the other men in your life mm. outside of this dating bubble? Who are the other men in your life? And do you trust any of them? I I bet there are. I bet somewhere in this listener's life, there are good men. There are so many good men. And please know men drive me crazy. Of course, <laughs> they're the majority of perpetrators. I'm I'm married to a as woke as he can be middle-aged white man and he gets so much wrath from me sometimes because I'm like you 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 and he's like I don't have a voice anymore because I'm this I'm like well you've had your voice you don't get it anymore and then he gets mad I'm like it's not your time anymore but it's not men you know it's not it's it's some men. Again, back to the sitting on the street corner. It's not men. It's a perpetrator. And mm-hmm. by the way, women perpetrate sexual violence, sexual trauma as well. Not as much. Mm-hmm. Not as much, but they do. Find the good men in your life. And they're there. Um, I, mm. I know Jennifer and Emily probably both have things to say about good men and not yeah. good men. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and our husbands all yeah, get we a lot were, of shit. We <laughs> that was... Such a relatable. We were shaking our head. Such a relatable yes, it was. Uh, experience that you're having. Because we with are your married husband. to, we are married to great, very progressive, very aware, very in tune men, and still there's going to be blocks, right? Like, and yeah. I think that that's also like really okay for it to be what it is. It is. It is. They're never going to get it. They're never going to be a woman, but I'm never going to be a man. And I don't know. I can't embody toxic masculinity. I don't know what it's like to move through the world, always having to be strong and capable and fix a tire. But, you know, (laughs) I have no clue how to fix a tire. No. And I never will. (laughs) Yeah. No. No. But again, all of our husbands would would bring the the poor person sitting on the street corner. Yep. So it's again, it's just not it's not all men. Right. Yeah, absolutely. OK, this is a really significant, important question. How to recover from being told that it was no big deal by a parent at a young age? Oh, man. And that happens so often. That happens so often. So start to trust your own voice, start to trust your judgment. And again, I wouldn't do this immediately in relationship or with sex. I would do it in other areas of your life. So work is going to be probably a common area where survivors can find some confidence. Relationships with friends, relationships with community, maybe it's your church, some spiritual practice. Start to trust your own voice. And then once you find a place of confidence and resiliency for yourself there, then you test it out with people who are a little bit trickier. Mm. Mm, Great one. Okay. I want to try to fit in one more question before we have to go to to calling BS. Okay. All right. All right. How can it impact your libido later on with your partner? A lot of questions about libido. So I think it's important for us to, to touch on a lot of people that are worried that their libido is because of sexual trauma. Okay. 
So first, let's talk about libido and our expectations there, because I have a feeling those are um, entirely kind of misplaced or blown out of proportion. First, if you are in a long-term relationship, libido or desire is not going to come like a lightning bolt out of the sky and hit you anymore. Mm. It is not. So if your survivor is sitting there and you experienced sexual trauma 10 years ago and you're in a long-term relationship and your sex drive is waning, of course, if it's about the trauma, which could be a piece of it, do the work around that. But also, if you expect desire to come out of the sky and hit you, it's not. So we're going to go to arousal first or responsive desire. And I I, I know you guys have done a podcast on this. Yep. Right? Spontaneous desire versus... Keep going on. with it. Remind, remind everyone again. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I talk about desire and arousal. Desire is the psychological process of wanting. Arousal, the physiological process of wanting. A lot of times with women and or female body people and survivors, we've got to go to the arousal first because we cannot access the desire. So again, get in bed with yourself, touch yourself, and then almost, almost always the desire to have sex will follow, right? So good sex doesn't start with, I want to have sex. Good sex starts with a plan of action. Mm -hmm. Just like a good meal starts with cooking and preparation. You just don't sit down and magically the plate is full of pasta or, or a bowl of ice cream, you know, you have to take the time to get it out. So try not to worry so much about your libido. And I would actually ask you to just put that word down and think about desire and arousal. Go for the physiology, go for a touch that makes you feel good. Go for a candle that you love the smell of. Go for a faux fur blanky thing that I just had out, like whatever it is that helps you get out of your head into your body and able to receive pleasure. That's where we're going first. Instead of saying my libido is broken. Mm. That I think it will be so incredible. We've talked about this before, but so incredibly validating because I think there is this expectation that it is going to hit you like a lightning bolt. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong with you. And so just so incredibly helpful for those, because, you know, another question that comes up, connected to that is when we are putting this expectation on ourselves of, oh, I should have this spontaneous uh, desire. I should have this. What will that turn into? How does that end up affecting us? It turns into guilt and then it turns into self-blame and then it turns into shame. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to access pleasure if we're sitting in shame. We all deserve pleasure. Pleasure is our birthright. And that's one of the key things that gets taken away from survivors of sexual trauma. They don't feel like they deserve pleasure. Mm, We all deserve pleasure. Mm -hmm. That alone is so powerful. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many, I know I'm being um, very heteronormative, but there's so many women that have really felt like pleasure is just not going to be part of my life. Right. Whether it was taken from me, whether it's something I have difficulty accessing, whether it's something that uh, was taking me through trauma or through purity culture. Yeah. Right. That this is your birthright to have pleasure. It, it is. And diet culture, I just want to say. So sexual trauma and disordered eating go together like a, an awful sandwich, the most awful yeah. sandwich you can think of. But food, drinks, those are one of the, the you know, that's an easy pleasure point to access, which again, we all have to eat and drink to survive. But survivors are quick to cut that off and say, I don't deserve that. 
Mm. Wow. Yep. Wow. Dr. Holly Richmond, this is incredible. <laughs> but before we let you go, which, which we, we don't, don't want, want to, to. Oh, yeah. oh, so we'll get <laughs> one more thing out of you. We we have all of our uh, guests call uh, some bullshit on something in their field. And so we would love for you to call some bullshit today. Tell us a little bit about what comes up for you. Oh my gosh, I had two bullshits. Um, one is right on point. So can I yes, do two please. really quick yes. ones? Yes, you, okay. you, you oh, can yeah, do whatever 25. you want. Whatever <laughs> you want. We already touched on this, but I'm going to be provocative. Both these things are provocative. Just hear me yeah. out. So the bullshit is there's no such thing as non-consensual sex. Okay? Mm, yeah. I don't like saying non-consensual sex because we don't say non-consensually taking someone's shit. We say stealing. <laughs> we don't say non-consensually killing someone. We say murder. It's not non-consensual sex. It's rape. It's sexual abuse. It's sexual harassment. It's sexual violence. Call it what it is. Non-consensual sex, that term protects the system, protects the patriarchy. Oof. Okay. <laughs> That now I can't wait yeah. for number two. <laughs> okay. And this is just my field in general. So we're stepping a little bit away from survivors. Ooh, people are going to get mad at me. I hope they don't get mad at you. There's no such thing as sex addiction. Yeah. They won't get mad at us. They've heard okay. us say that before. <laughs> okay, good, good. I was, I, and that's why I wanted to have two as well, because I was, I didn't go through every podcast you guys have ever had. <laughs> I'm like, I hope someone has talked about the term sex addiction I'm not saying there's no such thing as hypersexuality. I'm not saying there's no such thing as sexual compulsivity. But when we call it sex addiction, again, we are protecting the system and we're protecting perpetrators and we're pathologizing bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? If you have a problem with sex, get help. Um, but to call it addiction, to me, an, an addiction is a physiological dependence. I've helped people overcome hypersexuality a lot and no one has ever died when I've taken their porn away. No one's ever died if I've asked them to abstain from sex just for a little bit as we can ramp up and put it back on the table again. Mm -hmm. So there's my two cents. Wow. Those are probably the two best amazing. bullshits that's ever been called on Shrink Chicks. You win you are, the best BS. actually amazing. Do I get like a poop trophy? Oh, you do. <laughs> we will send you golden poop. You have earned golden it. <laughs> Truly, this was the most amazing conversation. We really appreciate you coming on to Shrink Chicks. Tell everyone, tell our listeners how they can find you. And where they can buy your book. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So um, my website, drhollyrichmond.com, drhollyrichmond.com on social media at Dr. Holly Richmond. So at drhollyrichmond. And the book is Reclaiming Pleasure. It's available on Amazon. Reclaiming Pleasure, a sex positive guide for moving past sexual trauma and living a passionate life. Oh my God, I forgot the subtitle of my book. That is okay. Wow. Because the good news is, is you can just look in today's show notes yes. and we will have all of Dr. Holly's information and links to buy her amazing life-changing book. You have to go on and purchase it today on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Thank you for being here today. We are 
honored. If you enjoyed this episode, we ask you as always to send it on over to a friend who might enjoy it as well. We ask you to rate, review, subscribe, follow on Apple Podcasts. If you are looking to work with an amazing clinician, we have lots at the therapy group. We'd love to get you connected with in person in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, right in Rittenhouse Square, Westchester, Pennsylvania, and virtually in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Florida, Pennsylvania, also as well virtually and California. Hey, thank you for being here today. Don't forget, we love you. And if you want to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. We'll see you next week on Shrink Chicks. <laughs>